Hey, Shravya, I'm live in Cincinnati for the Western and Southern Open. The first press conference is in a few minutes. Where are you? Josefina, what are you doing in Cincinnati? Um, I'm here for the Western and Southern Open, one of the most prestigious hardcore tournaments in the United States, featuring the ATP Masters 1000 and WTA Premier 5. Of course I know what it is, but the Western and Southern Open is not in Cincinnati this year. What are you talking about? It's always in Cincinnati. That's why it's also known as the Cincinnati Open. Duh. No, no, no. You need to hop on a plane back. The tournament is in New York, Josefina, at the USTA Billie Jean King National Tennis Center. Huh? What? I didn't know that. Josefina! Shravya! Josefina! Ah! Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hold On to Your Racket, the podcast dedicated to all things tennis. It's your hosts, Travia and Josefina. Recording for the first time, Josefina and I are so excited to be starting this podcast and sharing our love for tennis with you all. Travia and I are two high school gals and tennis fanatics united together by our on-the-court and off-the-court companionship. And we're the young female voices in modern day tennis you've been looking for. So we hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned for more. All right, everyone. Today is August 21st, 2020, and welcome to the first episode of Hold On to Your Racket. I don't know about you, Josefina, but I am pretty excited about this first episode. <laughs> don't worry about it. I'm just as excited, Shravya. <laughs> Today's episode is Cincinnati, New York. It's our Western and Southern the open. <laughs> Southern Open? <laughs> Something like that. Before we begin, let's cover some important information about the event. The Western and Southern Open was previously known as the Cincinnati Masters, and that would be the reason it's also known as the Cincinnati Open. It is the only tennis tournament outside of the four Grand Slams with three permanent stadium courts. Last year's singles champions were Madison Keys and Daniil Medvedev. Little did I know, this is the first year the tournament will take place outside of the Cincinnati area in Ohio due to the pandemic. Speaking of which, Josephina, I'm glad you made it back from Ohio. <laughs> Me too. It's the first time in a while we've seen many commercial planes in the sky, and I'm glad they're back. But are they taking the necessary precautions to keep passengers, like our athletes for the Western and Southern Open and the U.S. Open, safe? You know... The CDC stated a while back that they've deployed about 100 additional staff to major airports like JFK, which most players would be flying into to get to the Open, to support existing staff at CDC quarantine stations located at those airports. And, of course, they have the expected masks and social distancing, but it seems as if flying is the only way to get places, internationally speaking. But is it really worth the risk? Well, I know a lot of tennis players have already had concerns about the travel and about getting back and quarantining. And even Johanna Conta, we know her as the formal world number four. She's now number 15 in the world from Great Britain, 2019 Roland Garros semifinalist. So she was playing in the top seed open in Kentucky um, last week, and she flew from London to Chicago. She and her team, which was pretty small, rented a car in Chicago and drove to Kentucky and they're going to play there for the top seed open which they did which ended a couple which ended last week 
and they're gonna drive that same car from Lexington all the way to New York because she's trying to minimize as much exposure at airports and other high traffic areas as she can. So we can see that these tennis players are really taking, for the most part, the most precautions that they can. Yeah, definitely. Maybe taking those precautions were the right move on Conta's part, because on August 16th, Kei Shikori announced on his mobile app that he has tested positive for coronavirus. Kei Shikori is the only male Japanese tennis player in history to be ranked inside the top five in singles and reached his career-high singles ranking of world number four in March 2015. He's currently ranked number 31. Nishikori released a statement saying, I am feeling well and have very little symptoms, but will obviously be in complete isolation for the safety of everyone. He's officially withdrawn from the 2020 Western and Southern Open and will stay in Florida for his recovery, but there's still no word on whether or not he's attending this year's U.S. Open. You know, the sacrifice Nishikori made in order to keep other players and staff safe is a really important and prevalent one today. Hopefully, other players take that example and the sporting events they attend continue to do their best in ensuring the players' and staff's health and safety. I mean, I agree. I think we can see these two former world number four players, obviously, in two different situations. And let's hope that Kane Ishikori recovers fast. It's good to hear that he's not very symptomatic and has mild symptoms. But obviously, as we see, Some high profile players testing positive in the past few months, expressing concerns about the coronavirus. Let's take a second to talk about what protocols the USTA is actually putting in place for the Western and Southern Open and the US Open. So I think a lot of people have been talking about the bubble format. How about we go more into depth about that? Because even I don't know what that is. Exactly. So the COVID、um, 19 pandemic has obviously. Put sports in a precarious position, and a lot of the professional sports agencies, such as the NBA and even World Team Tennis, have tested out this bubble format, which is kind of everyone staying in the same spot, all the players, limited people are allowed, and they stay there for the duration of the tournament. They have to quarantine beforehand to make sure everything's as safe as possible, and that's what the USTA is doing these two these next few weeks as well. Wow, that actually sounds pretty cool because the Western and Southern Open and the US Open are obviously happening in the same. Um, event space this year, so it's like a giant sleepover for anyone who's attending. <laughs> a very high profile sleepover. <laughs> Something like that. So, if you guys recall, World Team Tennis, which was taking place about a few weeks ago, they had, a quite, they had quite strict restrictions and we're seeing similar ones for the US Open. So, they had a mandatory two week quarantine before playing, testing for all players. They had to stay in the bubble, and we saw Danielle Collins, a USA player, had to be kicked out of the event because she did breach those guidelines, and there were limited fans. Oh, wow. But the Western and Southern Open and the COVID 19 protocols there are a little bit different, and there's obviously no fans. So I don't know if you remember, Josephina, but a few months ago, the Billie Jean King National Tennis Center was actually a field hospital as COVID cases in New York were peaking. So it's crazy to see how this event space is now being totally transitioned into something more significant of how New York is recovering from this pandemic. Yeah, it's honestly great to see because this is one like major sign and symbol of New York's recovery back to what we had before the pandemic. No, I totally agree. So, one of the first rules that the USDA has put in place is that players are limited to bringing a maximum of three guests, meaning coaches, physiotherapists, anyone of that sort. They can only bring three players per 
um, three, excuse me, three persons per player, so three guests for each player. Right. Completely justified. I mean, I wouldn't expect them to bring their family members to put them at risk in that way. They can watch from TV at home. No, I totally agree. And for COVID testing, all players and guests have to pass two nasal swab coronavirus tests, and those two tests have to be conducted 48 hours apart. And the USTA anticipates that these test results will come back in 24 hours, which is good that it's this efficient, but it does raise the question if we compare the USTA's plan for efficiency of testing, we've seen this in professional sports throughout, that testing is really being prioritized for these professional athletes. If we compare this with our country's testing situation right now for everyday Americans, there is a question to be had of do these professional athletes really deserve to have this expedited testing or is it something that we can organize for those sports and hope to get our country's testing plan back on track for everyday Americans. And there's another thing that the USTA has been discussing, which is antibody testing. Antibody tests at the moment are not required for the players. The USTA is encouraging them. So if a player tests positive for antibodies, they have to get tested for coronavirus every seven days. But if their antibody test comes back negative or they're not tested for antibodies, they have to get tested every four days. So they're kind of weaving that into their strategy as well, which seems to be very much driven by the science at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like the USTA is doing really well. All these precautions that you're listing, they sound super justified, and it sounds like they just might work to keep everybody safe. So if we go into a little bit more about this bubble that the USTA has created in their event space, so the bubble consists of obviously the tournament site, two hotels for the players and guests, and they also have private housing available. So the last I checked, only three male players have requested private housing. And if a player were to request private housing, this is where it gets interesting. The players must pay for 24-hour security at that location. And the USTA must have access to that security information to make sure that that player and their guests are being responsible in terms of social distancing and staying in the bubble. So players can't leave the bubble unless they have written permission from both the tournament director and the chief medical officer. So they're being really strict about this, even with the private housing that private security required. And if a player or a guest were to ha- were to violate these um, quarantine rules, the consequences are pretty heavy. They're going to be fined, kicked out of the tournament, their credentials will be taken away, and they're not allowed to get a credential the next year. So really, hats off to the USTA to work so hard to pull this event off. I mean, obviously the guidelines are strict, but I feel like that's what we need right now if we want to bring back um, professional sports. So good that they're making player and staff safety a top priority, working with state and local government, looking at the science, and being creative to make sure everything's safe and keeping the same U.S. Open feel. I mean, we did see some initial grumblings from top players like Djokovic. Josefina, I'm sure you remember his disgruntlement with the fact that he could only bring a couple people with him to the U.S. Open. Yeah, I do. And it's like, but this is a, no, yeah, go ahead. This is a really dangerous time, I guess, because even though things are getting better around the New York area, we're still at a very sensitive moment where it could go either way at this point. It could either keep getting better if we continue to take the correct precautions or it could just get worse all of a sudden because people are starting to see that it's a little safer but really you we should continue doing what we're doing 
I mean, now the players are having a really overwhelmingly positive response. John Millman tweeted the other day, the player from Australia. He said, quote, First impressions of the U.S. Open series are really positive. It's noticeable how hard the USTA has worked to create a comfortable and safe environment. I'm pumped to be back playing. Top effort from the entire USTA team, end quote. So that's nice to hear. And Josephina, I know you saw some... Uh, an Instagram post from Andy Murray and a tweet from Sloane Stephens about sort of the text they were getting from the U.S. Open about their test results. Right, because like what you were talking about, how they have to get tested twice, um, Andy Murray posted on his Instagram story the exact text, the screenshot, saying that he is good to go. He is free of the coronavirus, so he's good to play, and we're really happy to hear that. Yeah, it's nice to see him back on the tour. Definitely. And, you know, even though the USTA is trying their hardest to keep players safe, there is unfortunately always the inevitable to expect. The USTA recently released a statement announcing that a non-player individual has in fact, and I quote, tested positive for COVID-19 within the Western and Southern Open and US Open controlled environment. The individual is asymptomatic. And then it's been extremely recently released by Argentinian player Guido Pea and his Bolivian training partner, Hugo Delian, that it was, in fact, drumroll please, their fitness trainer, Juan Manuel Galvan, who has tested positive for the virus. Pea and Delian have been forced to drop out since the three were training together in Miami all last week. And as current number 35, Pea would have been in the main draw at the Western and Southern Open. And Delian, who is currently number 94, would have been a qualifier. It does sound like they have it under control. I mean, I think this was the only positive test out of the around 1,400 people that they tested at the facility. So I think we can be confident in the plan that USTA has laid out in terms of their coronavirus guidelines. And I don't know about you, but I'm just looking forward to an exciting upcoming week of tennis at the Western and Southern Open in Cincinnati, but really at the USTA Billie Jean King Mm -hmm. National Tennis Center. Yeah, exactly. If we just continue to have a positive outlook on this, I think this will actually all turn out to be okay. All right, Josephina, let's move into talking about who's actually playing and what the draws look out look like and what this tournament's going to shape out to be. So one of the big headlines, obviously some players are, do have concerns with traveling to New York and to the United States, and that's left the women's singles field pretty bare in terms of the fact that there's only four of the WTA top 10 players playing in the Western and Southern Open. Tracy Austin recently did an interview for the New York Times where she said that this is the weakest women's field for the Cincinnati Open and the U.S. Open in the entire Open era. But obviously it makes sense, as Josefina, you pointed out, the concerns these players have. So the only top 10 players in the WTA who are actually playing are Karolina Pliskova, Sophia Kennan, Serena Williams, and Naomi Osaka. And meanwhile, the six that are out are Ash Barty, the world number one, Simona Halep, who recently won a tournament in Prague but won't be coming to the States, Bianca Andreescu, who is obviously the defending U.S. Open champion, and Alina Svitolina, who was the last year's semifinalist, and they all cited discomfort for traveling. The other top 10 player who won't be joining the field this year is Kiki Burtons. And not only did she cite discomfort with traveling, 
But she also noted that there's a quick turnaround for the clay season. The tournament in Rome starts the day after the U.S. Open ends, and some countries require a mandatory 14-day quarantine from people returning back from the United States, so that would make it difficult for her to play. Another top player who won't be playing will be Garbina Muguruza. She was obviously the Australian Open finalist. She's injured and she's pulled out. Let's hope that she can come to the U.S. Open. But otherwise, this means that Pliskova, Kennan, Serena, and Osaka, who are the top four seeds, have some good opportunity to go far in this tournament and maybe come out with a win. They might have a breakthrough, and we have two American women as part of this group of four with Serena and Sophia Kennan. So let's see if they can make a good comeback and a good start to the reopening tennis tour in New York. Right, of course. And, you know, even though all these WTA players have announced that they're not playing in the um, United States tournaments of this year, we should look out for the ones who are here. So let's start with the girl who's been making so many headlines the past year because of her unusual combination of youth and success in the pro tennis world. It's Coco Goff. She was ranked number one in ITF Junior Rankings after winning the 2018 French Open Girls Singles Championships, and she made her WTA debut debut in <laughs> 2019 and shortly after received a qualifying wildcard into Wimbledon, which she used to her advantage and quickly became the youngest player in the tournament's history to qualify for the main draw. Ever. That's pretty insane. So... I think, like, it's justified that we should look out for her. Coco's first match at the Cincinnati Open is against number 13 seed Maria Sakari, and we wish her the best of luck. So next up, we have re-re-returning tennis legend Kim Kleisters. This is Kleisters' third comeback from retirement. There's no telling when it will stop, but hopefully it doesn't. (laughs) <laughs> She's been ranked number one in both singles and doubles, even simultaneously in 2003. She has won a total of six Grand Slams, four in singles, two in doubles, and is a three-time winner of the WTA Tour Championships. Her first retirement was in 2007, but she returned two years later and won her second U.S. Open title as an unranked player in just her third tournament back. The following year, she won the Australian Open, then she became the first mother to be ranked number one by the WTA. That is pretty awesome for women's tennis and for tennis in general. So I'm excited to see Kim Kleisters back with the wild card and see how she does. Definitely. And Kleisters retired again after that in 2012 in the US Open. And actually, wait, this is kind of insane. I remember that because I was there. I was there at her last match on Court no 17. No way. Yeah, exactly. Um, with Bob Bryan, I remember um, there was a huge speech, and obviously I was only seven years old. I probably was sleeping most of the time. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember it, and there was a huge speech, and people were, like, clapping, and I'm just sitting there like something's going on. I just don't know what, and now I know what. Um, She started her second comeback at the 2020 Dubai Tennis Championships and is now returning to the Cincinnati Open to continue that comeback. Kleisers has obtained a wild card into the main draw and will be playing Jennifer Brady in the first round. 
All right, let's take a look at the ATP side of the tournament. So we know that six of the top 10 WTA players are out. Only three of the top 10 ATP players are out, those being Nadal, Federer, and Gail Monfils. So Nadal cited coronavirus health concerns, and Federer probably wouldn't have been able to come to the U.S. Open anyway because of the fact that he's recovering from knee surgery. But we also have had Gael Monfils pull out, just like his girlfriend, Selena, so they won't be there at the U.S. Open and the Western and Southern Open, even though that they're probably one of the most loved tennis couples out there. <laughs> Definitely. And, I mean, Gael Monfils, he's such, like, an entertaining player, so it's obviously sad that he won't be here. But, again, it's completely his decision and we respect that because of course there are the health concerns and risks that come with attending the Cincinnati Open this year. Yeah, another crowd favorite like Monfils who has pulled out is Nick Kyrgios. So Kyrgios has been a huge advocate of those essential workers who've been working to keep us safe and has also been a harsh critic of some of the tennis players who probably haven't been behaving as responsibly during the pandemic. So in a video he released announcing the fact that he won't be playing, he said, quote, We can rebuild our sport and the economy, but we can never recover lives lost. I will not be playing this year at the U.S. Open. It hurts me at my core not to be out there competing in one of the sport's greatest arenas, the Arthur Ashe Stadium. But I'm sitting out for the people, for my Aussies, for the hundreds of thousands of Americans who have lost their lives, for all of you. So those are some nice words to hear from Curios. Yeah, that's honestly, I didn't, I haven't heard that one before, but that's really, you know, it takes a high level of, you know, maturity and just like respect to um, get out of your favorite tournament just for to save lives. I mean, it's like, it has me speechless, basically, because I can't come up with words to say and speak English. <laughs> yeah, I mean, great stuff from Curios. Really nice to see those words out there. Obviously, we support the decisions of the players who have decided to come to play. That's amazing. And those who feel it's safer to sit out. The other two absences that we should know are Stan Wawrinka. He cited health concerns with traveling again. And he's actually playing a challenger-level event in Prague, which is interesting. And unfortunately, the Bryan brothers, they are not playing in Cincinnati, or the Western and Southern Open, I should say. The word is that they will skip Cincinnati and play the U.S. Open, but they're not on the U.S. Open entry list either. And Josefina, I know you're a huge Bryan Brothers fan, so I want to hear your thoughts about this because 2020 was supposed to be their kind of end hurrah year, and this is kind of unfortunate for them. Yeah, I completely agree because, like you said, it was supposed to be apparently their final or one of their final events before retiring and it makes sense that they finish on their home court but now that might not be possible and of course like you said I am a huge fan of the Bryan brothers so um especially since last year um they commented on one of my Instagram posts and that just like that sent me through the sky I was so happy that um, is amazing <laughs> I remember when you told me about that and that is really one for for the record books in terms of your favorite Instagram posts, I'm sure. Definitely. I'm never deleting that one. I don't care if it comes out of trend or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, so again, like we said, of course, there's the players that won't be able to be playing this year's Cincinnati Open and U.S. Open, unfortunately, of course. But, you know, there are players to look out for still. 
So first up, I have Felix Auger Aliassime. He's a Canadian native and current number 20 in the world at the age of 20, making him the youngest player in the top 20. Wow, I said the number That's 20 a lot. That's a lot of 20s. There. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and it's 2020. It is 2020. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, looking back to Aliassime's junior career, his highest ITF junior singles ranking was number 2 which he reached in June of 2016. At his first Junior Grand Slam, which was the 2015 U.S. Open, he reached the second round in singles, but he won the doubles portion with partner Denis Shapovalov. The very next year, in 2016, Ali Asim came back to win the Junior U.S. Open Boys singles title. Ajer Ali Asim made history by becoming the first player born in the 2000s to have an ATP ranking. So that's pretty insane. And Felix will be playing Nikolos Basilashvili in the first round of the Western and Southern Open, whom he defeated in the 2019 Lyon Open. And, you know, Felix Auger Aliassim isn't the only one to look out for because we also have somebody else coming back. And if you don't know the name Andy Murray and you consider yourself a fan of tennis, you've either been living under a rock for the past 20 years or you're not actually a tennis fan. <laughs> so, Murray is the 2012 U.S. Open and the 2013 and 2016 Wimbledon singles champion, which made him the first British man to win multiple Wim- Wimbledon singles titles since 1936. He is former world number one, but is now ranked number 129. Murray has already put his name out there in the tennis world with countless achievements, so you would probably wonder why we mention him as a player to look out for in the 2020 Western and Southern Open. The reason is that Murray has only recently recovered from a hip resurfacing surgery and an abdominal injury. He is just now making his comeback to tennis, and we want everyone to pay attention and be able to watch it happen. All right, now that we've given you guys a preview of who's playing and who's to look out for, let's actually go into the draw a little bit and do some draw analysis. So before you go into the ATP draw, Josephina, I did want to point out something funny, that at the top of the draws that the Western and Southern Open has put out, in under city country, it says Cincinnati, New York, USA. So I think that's pretty fitting with our episode title as well. So... Now that we've kind of given that intro of the players who are playing and who are out, Josefina, how about you take it away with the ATP draw analysis? Right. So even though the ATP draw may seem like it's lacking, we still have a lot a lot to look out for. So first, let's start with seeing who the main draw wild cards are. So, of course, we have two-time winner Andy Murray, who we mentioned before, and Americans Tommy Paul, Tennis Sandgren, and Francis TFO, who have been awarded wild cards for the Western and Southern Open, like I said. And the top 10 seeds are in order Novak Djokovic, Dominic Thiem, Daniil Medvedev, Stefanos Tsitsipas, Alexander Zverev, Matteo Berrettini, David Goffin, Roberto Bautista Agut, Diego Schwartzman, and Andre Rublev. And see, there those all those names are high in ranking, so we don't really have that much lacking on the ATP side, and there's still a lot to look out for this year. So some interesting matches include 12th seed Denis Shapovalov versus Croatian U.S. Open champion Marin Cilic. 
Um, and then another match to look out for is American wildcard Francis TFO versus returning British legend Andy Murray. And the last match I have for you is Bulgarian seed number 14, Grigor Dimitrov versus Frenchman Hugo Humbert. Humbert. Umbert. <laughs> French. <laughs> Yeah, I think I we all saw that Dimitrov was unfortunately recovering from the coronavirus, and we hope he's back to speed, but I know it's been kind of a rocky road for his recovery. And thank you for that ATP draw analysis. I'm excited to see who wins that TFL Murray match, because they face Alexander Zverev up next, and that's going to be a tough one for Zverev, and obviously for TFO or Murray. So let's talk a little bit about the WTA draw. So, obviously, our number one seed is Karolina Pliskova because of the fact that Simona Halep and Ash Barty are not playing. And she has been kind of active during these kind of coronavirus, um, the coronavirus pause of professional tennis. She was playing some exhibitions in Europe. So, let's see how she fares on the hard courts. The first kind of section I want to take you guys to is the Allison Risk versus Amanda Anisimova match, and right below that, the Jennifer Brady and Kim Kleisters match. So, both of these matches, in and of themselves, we've got three Americans here, three great Americans. Obviously, Allison Risk, we know her because she's had some good runs on grass. She's also been making a resurgence, she's just outside of the top 10. And she's playing the young American Amanda Anisimova. So that should be an interesting match. And we have Jennifer Brady, who just won the top seed open in Kentucky. She's playing amazing. Who's going to go up against Kim Kleisters. And the winners of those two matches will face off. So those are going to be some good first and second round matches. Naomi Osaka is our fourth seed. She got a wild card. I'm not exactly sure why she received a wild card. I know Josephina and I were a little bit confused about that. But... Looking at the draw, this seems to be a good draw for Osaka, and let's hope that she can make a comeback on uh, U.S. Open soil. If we go down the draw a little bit, we can see defending champion Madison Keys. She could face some challenges from the Tunisian player Jabur, who's been playing pretty well. We've got a packed bottom eighth of the draw with some American players like Sloane Stevens and Katie McNally and Victoria Azarenka. But we also see a possibility for a Serena and Goff matchup in the round of 16 and a Serena Contest quarterfinal and maybe a Serena Kennan semifinal. So that bottom half of the draw has some really great U.S. players to look out for. As well as overall, we've got, as we said, Jennifer Brady, Sophia Kennan, Coco Goff, Serena, and Katie McNally as well. And Josephina and I have a good friend who's a big Katie McNally fan, so I'm sure he'll be pretty happy to see that she's playing. But again, Allison Risk, Anisimova, Sloane Stephens, Madison Keys, there are some great American players here, and let's hope that they can make a breakthrough. But otherwise, if there are any other first-round matches I'd suggest you guys take a look at, it would be the Venus Williams and Diana Yastremska match. Obviously, as, as Josephina said, the Sakari and Coco Golf match. Vekic versus Azarenka, Sloane Stephens versus Caroline Garcia, who has a career high in the ranking of number four, which she reached in 2018. And then the Katie McNally and Elise Cornet match, which could be a great opportunity for Katie McNally. And if she were to win, she'd face Sophia Kennan. So we'd have some good matchups there. Okay, guys, now it is time for the segment that we have entitled The Tiebreaker. So the tiebreaker is where we're each going to pick a match on the WTA side and on the ATP side that we think is going to be a close one. And we're going to provide you our perspective on it and hope that you guys will stay tuned for that one and hear what we have to say. 
So for me, I'm going to pick one on the WTA side, which I mentioned this in the draw analysis, but it's the Venus Williams versus Diana Yastrzemska match. So Venus obviously received the wild card, the seven Grand Slam title champion. We obviously know who Venus is. She's also 40 years old and still playing amazing tennis. And she's going up against Yastrzemska, who you might not have heard of. She's 20 years old from Ukraine, 25 in the world. And she ended on a career-high ranking of number 22 in 2019. And she's one of those t rising young players. So she has six top, she had six top 20 wins in, the, in 2019. One of them was including Karolina Pliskova. So she's definitely a tough competitor for Venus to face off against. But, you know, Venus, she recently got a new coach. She looked good at the top seed open. Right. And, of course, I'm looking forward to that match as well. And we'll be looking out for that and you know, giving updates. I also have a tiebreaker for the ATP side, which is one I mentioned before in the draw analysis, the Andy Murray versus Francis TFO match. You know, Andy Murray, of course, he's coming back, and I'm curious, curious to see how he's going to do in this event. And also, TFO is a really good player who is really known for holding his ground during matches. So he's not an easy obstacle to get past if it's for Andy Murray. And for TFO, facing Andy Murray, a returning legend, obviously is would be difficult on the mental side of things. So both have something coming at them, and I think it's really going to be an interesting match. I honestly have no idea what the score is going to be, so I'm not even going to say anything about that yet. Hey everyone, we just got some breaking news after we recorded the draw analysis sections that Kim Kleisters has withdrawn from the Western and Southern Open due to an abdominal injury. Even though we were excited to see her play, unfortunately, she will no longer be participating in the tournament. We do hope to see her at the U.S. Open, though. Now, let's get back to the episode. Alright, looks like it's time for our tennis ball frizz quiz. Josefina, what's the tennis ball frizz quiz? I think we should let our listeners know. Right, so this is a little trivia section Shravi and I are going to do. And basically, at the end of the Cincinnati Open, we're going to have an overall score. And whoever has the most points will be the tennis ball frizz quiz whiz. Looks like I'm up first for asking the questions, so here we go. Number one, do the WTA and ATP portions of the Cincinnati Open have the same official tournament title or name? Yes or no? I'm gonna go with no. That is correct. The men's open is called the Western and Southern Financial Group Masters, and the women's is called the Western and Southern Open. I didn't know that. That's good to know. All right, I'm going to ask you another Western and Southern, Southern Open-themed question. Which of these players have been the only unseeded women's singles champions of the Western and Southern Open in the Open era? Your choices are Lena, Vera Zvonareva, Garbina Muguruza, Kiki Burtons, or Kim Kleisters? I'm gonna go for... Mm, what was the first one? Lena. 
Kim Clijsters. Okay, and who's your second choice? Muguruza? No. Now, I don't know. Lena, okay. Well, the two answers were Vera Zwanareva and Kiki Burtons. Zwanareva won the Open in 2006, and Kiki Burtons won it unseated in 2018. So let's go on. It sounds like I had everyone on my list except the two right answers. (laughs) That's about right. How about we go to your next question? All right, number two on my side. Um, What is the main stadium court called at the original Cincinnati Open venue in Cincinnati? A, Grandstand. B, Center Court. C, the Lindner Center Stadium. I'm going to go with C. That is incorrect. Oh, no. What's the answer? The answer is B, Center Court. I was about to pick it. Yeah, the Lindner, um, I think it's the Lindner Financial Group. That's the name of the entire venue, not the stadium court. Okay, I decided against center court because I thought, no, that's more of a Wimbledon type of thing. So maybe it's the yes, third option. Yeah. Okay, moving on to our last question, Josefina. I expect you to get this one correct because it is Brian Brothers themed. How many Cincinnati doubles titles do the Bryan brothers have? I'm going to give credit to the ATP website for giving me the... Five. Yes, that's correct. I didn't even have to yes. give you the choices. Oh, my God. I told you I read up on this before. <laughs> I read up on everything. <laughs> All right. Well, looks like we're tied. No, we're not. Are we tied? Oh, yeah, we are tied. Yeah, All right. one all. We'll see what happens Two. next time. Okay. Alright, so even though we love watching professional tennis and are big fans of the sports and the players, sometimes even the best players double fault. And that's exactly what our next segment is called. So, Novak Djokovic has had a rocky road during the coronavirus pandemic, especially with his whole Adria Tour scandal. If you don't remember what the Adria Tour was, it was an exhibition charity event that Djokovic organized in Serbia and Eastern Europe. But while there were some of the biggest names of tennis there, and it was donating two helpful charities for the coronavirus pandemic, there was no social distancing in sight. And because of the event, Dimitrov and Djokovic both tested positive for COVID-19, among many other players and coaches. So Djokovic recently had an interview with the New York Times, and he spoke about the upcoming New York tournaments. But when he was asked about the Adria Tour, he said, quote, I don't think I've done anything bad, to be honest, he said. I do feel sorry for people that were infected. Do I feel guilty for anybody that was infected from that point onward in Serbia, Croatia, and the region? Of course not. It's like a witch hunt, to be honest. How can you blame one individual for everything? So we'll let you guys make of that what you may, but we did put it in our double fault section. So, of course, there are double faults sometimes, but we also have to consider the aces. Forbes recently released their list of highest-earning female athletes, and get this, the top nine are tennis players. And that's just completely amazing, considering the fact that the WTA was founded just 50 years ago. So I'm going to list the top three, just so you can get a grip of how much money this is, because the tennis players are absolutely dominating this list. First up, we have Naomi Osaka at $37.4 million. Next, we have Serena Williams at $36 million. 
and shortly after we have Ash Barty at 13.1 million. These numbers are just absolutely insane to me, but it's just amazing to see that tennis players are dominating the athletic world. I totally agree, especially to see female tennis players at the top nine of that list is pretty awesome. Now, obviously with the calls for racial and social justice throughout the world, tennis players have also started to speak out about this. I don't know if you guys saw Coco Goff's amazing speech at a protest, but the USTA has certainly been paying attention because they have created a new rule on, quote, messages of social justice. So the USTA is allowing players to have messages of social justice on their attire and their shoes. Obviously, there are some sorts of sizing restrictions for patches and anything else they want to put on their attire, which is, a, which is normal. But this is certainly very promising in terms of how we're going to see players take advantage of this and share the positive message of racial justice through the platform that they have at the U.S. Open. Yeah, I think it's a great stride that they've allowed this because especially considering the fact that the matches are only televised this year, during the event, there's no way to get the word out about something except to wear it on your body. So this really gives the players a chance to express themselves. And now to round out our aces and double fault section, we have the headline that Denis Shapovalov, Canadian tennis player, number 16 in the world right now, has released music. We'll leave it up to our listeners to determine whether they think it's an ace or a double fault, but just know that it came out at midnight last night and it's called The Night Train. <laughs> I can't say it without laughing, I'm sorry. Well, yes, I'm not really sure what I think about it, We'll just leave that up to you guys, our listeners. As we end this episode, we did want to remember a tennis great. Angela Bookston, who was a British tennis trailblazer, passed away a couple days ago on August 14th, just two days before her 86th birthday. Bookston was Althea Gibson's doubles partner, and they actually won the 1956 Wimbledon Championships. They both faced discrimination in the 1950s, both in the tennis world and outside, with Bookston being Jewish and Gibson being black. Bookston remained an advocate for her dear friend Gibson and attended the unveiling of the Althea Gibson statue at the USTA Billie Jean King National Tennis Center during last year's US Open. The tennis world has expressed their sadness around her passing with notable figures such as Billie Jean King and Katrina Adams sharing their sentiments about Angela Bookston. Thank you so much for joining us today. That is game, set, and match for this episode. If you like this episode, please let us know and stay tuned for more. We'll be providing you with all the coverage of the Western and Southern Open and U.S. Open and more as professional tennis returns. Email us at holdontoyourracket at gmail.com for any questions. And remember, my name is Josefina. And my name is Shravia. That is, if you enjoyed this episode, if you didn't like it, Please tell your friends my name is Tom and Shravya's name is Bob. See you next time.